0: This episode of Unthinkable is supported by Right Side Shirts, helping children in grade school fully realize their creativity. Right Side sells apparel designed by kids who submit their art and get it turned into T-shirts and phone cases and even watches, and all profits help fund art programs in need. You can check out some pretty awesome designs on their site, rightsideshirts.org. A few of my favorite are the Dashing Giraffe, drawn by Caroline from Redwood City, California, WorldScape, a shockingly perfect sketch of the earth surrounded by famous buildings by Kevin in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, and my new favorite, The Zombie Donut by Katie, the future ruler of all social media, if I had to guess. Go to RightSideShirts.org. You guys, how cool is space? Personally, I'm such a space nerd sometimes. I always get lost in random articles and videos that I come across online. Like this one the other day. I was reading about how we, as humans, a bunch of specks on a slightly larger speck in a speck of a solar system, us humans will send space probes way, way out there, beyond our atmosphere, beyond our moon, beyond our solar system, further and further and further. How do we do that? How does a machine of man-made stuff go that far? This is where the science actually gets pretty crazy. We literally use the gravitational pulls of the other planets to slingshot our probes out into space. So we launch it from the Earth. It approaches Mars, and the planet's gravitational field acts like a sort of accelerator that pulls it forward and then past it. So it slingshots off of Mars. Then it slingshots off of Jupiter then it slingshots off of Saturn, and so on. And using this approach, it can gain speed and go remarkably far. Now, exploring outer space is a daunting task, but we face our own daunting tasks every single day in our work as creators. We try to explore the outer limits, not of space, but of our own abilities, and uh, we try to go where lots of others don't dare explore. And Luckily, we have our own version of those planets that can slingshot us forward. Side projects. You start out with two feet planted squarely in your day job with your current skills, your current mentality, and your current behavior. And as you aspire to do more daring, more resonant, more creative work, you look up, and that desire provides lift to get you up off of the ground. And you start seeking out side projects to carry you forward faster and further. So you slingshot off a personal blog, you slingshot off a funny graphic that you made, you slingshot off a photography project on the weekends, and so on. These projects each have a strong gravitational pull thanks to how much you enjoy them and how much you learn, not to mention how much you gain from each of them. And as you get temporarily sucked into them, you get zipped forward even further. You gain speed yourself and go remarkably far, way, way out, further than anyone thought possible, so fast, and so far, it's almost unthinkable. Hey there, and welcome to what started as my side project. I'm Jay Akunzo. Last week was episode one, where I introduced the theme of this show. It's all about the craft-driven creator. It's all about folks like you and me who got into the business of marketing because we love to create stuff. And we just agonize over creating great work for ourselves, for our audience. But then we feel suddenly stuck as a cog in a marketing machine, churning out more stuff rather than fulfilling our personal creative goals. That's why the tagline of this show is... Walking the fine line between creating and being truly creative. Yes, everyone in the business world today, quote, creates like a media company does. But you know it's about the spirit of that, not just the letter. It's about so much more than just hitting publish a lot. In that first episode last week, we explored a theme, quality versus quantity. We went outside the echo chamber of marketing to perhaps the smartest concentration of people on the planet to get some clarity and guidance around that debate. We also heard from someone who is required to do quality and quantity together at the same time, or else he's fired. And to help you do that very same thing, quality and quantity, I challenged you to just one small action during the week. So if you missed any of that, go back and listen to episode one. Today, our theme is side projects. Side projects are a beautiful thing. They help us fail and learn in a safe environment. They allow us to tinker and let our minds wander and to tap into the power of our subconscious to solve tough problems or unleash creativity that we didn't even know we had. Side projects allow us to pursue things purely out of intrinsic motivation. No bosses, no deadlines, no compromises. And, uh... They're just freaking fun. I mean, I I remember my first side project, a blog called allstarblog.com. It was a sports blog that I wrote in college, and actually it's still live gathering digital dust. In a twist I never expected out of that project, it actually helped me get a job at a company called Google. During my first interview with them back in 2008, a few of my future colleagues talked to me more about my work on that side blog than they did about my academic or extracurricular success. They just wanted to see that I was passionate about something and willing to pursue it. And they liked that I tinkered on the entire thing myself, the design, the tools, the marketing, and so forth. And by the way, they didn't care that I only got like 12 readers a week, which was basically you know, my mom, my dad, my sister, and a few random people in random countries. That's just one more reason that I love side projects. In a world where we keep getting pushed as creators to do more and get more, these projects are so much more meaningful to our lives than their reach, than their success, than their audience. If most of our day jobs are about size, then side hustles are about strength. Just think about this. If you wanna get stronger physically, you lift weights, you run, You stretch, you do yoga, unless you're like me and you look terrible in stretchy pants. That's a reason this show is audio and not video. But yeah, regardless of your attire, the gym is a great place to go if you want to work out and get stronger physically, and we know that. So what if you want to get stronger creatively? Here's a quick but bizarre story. It involves tennis star Rafael Nadal. He's a lefty, so he swings more from the left side than he does the right. Serve after serve, over and over again, he swings his left arm. Serve after serve, after serve, after serve, after serve, after serve, after serve. serve. And as a professional, just like us, Nadal repeats his craft every single day for years on end in order to constantly get better. But because he's so focused on his left, something weird has happened to him. His arms are noticeably different sizes. His left arm is much more muscular than his right, and it actually shows. Now, as creators today, thanks to all the various demands and opportunities presented by the internet and the breakneck pace of technology, we have to be more well-rounded. We can't be lopsided, at least not for very long if what we seek is a truly prolific creative career. However, unfortunately, many of our jobs hired us to swing from the left over and over again, serve after serve. We get hired as a blogger or a graphic designer or a podcaster, and we're here to produce, not do strategy, or maybe it's vice versa. We're pressured to write more lists, not so much long form. We're told to be broad, not deep or we're supposed to own a single topic or a customer persona and not stretch ourselves. And so if we just did what was asked of us, we'd get lopsided. And worse, we'd stagnate while the rest of the internet and our peers both speed ahead. But if you launch a side project, suddenly you're gaining new perspectives and new abilities to strengthen that one core thing. Suddenly, you're able to capitalize on new opportunities that come along. Suddenly, you land in a place that, Looking back, you'd never dream you would have reached. You're further than anyone thought possible, and you got there faster than they'd expect. Like our guest today, who took a simple side project and got stronger creatively and emotionally. And now... He's on a mission to help the rest of us do that too.
1: My name is Neil Pasricha. I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. What I do is a trickier one, but I am the author of five books around happiness and positivity, most recently, The Happiness Equation, and I'm also the director of the Institute for Global Happiness at globalhappiness.org.
0: Neil is also the creator of the award-winning blog and one of my personal favorite sites in the world, 1000awesomethings.com.
1: Well, I launched 1000awesomethings.com on June 20th, 2008. And I did so at a time in my life where I was living in the suburbs of Toronto. I was married, but it wasn't great. Like, it, it wasn't a great marriage. I was. I was 27, 28 years old. Uh, We'd been together a year or two. Respect and trust was all there, but it just, there was, the love was missing.
0: He was going through a series of life transitions all at once. He'd moved to a new town and hadn't made many connections yet. And he just started a new job at Walmart in HR in leadership coaching. So he was trying to figure that out too.
1: There's a burning itch inside me. And then on top of that, my closest friend, Chris, was suffering from severe mental illness at the time. So you know he's the guy I was talking to every day or two and it was it was about kind of how he was feeling and how he was doing and i felt this heaviness inside of me so i started up 1000awesomethings.com as a way to turn my brain on to something positive every night before
0: bed and so he'd come home from work and write about all kinds of random
1: things things like fat baseball
0: players like like
1: writing a little essay about fat baseball players Because they give us hope. You know, that was the point of the essay, by the way. Because it's like, if they can be a professional athlete, then so can I. You know, I don't have to be like this supple leopard or whatever. Things that made me laugh, like getting called up to the dinner buffet first at a wedding, you know, and you don't have to deal with the congealed meatballs and you don't have to deal with the like, the dregs of the lasagna pan, you know? And it made me laugh, and made me smile. I posted the blog, you know, I went to to bed.
0: A Thousand Awesome Things was just a free WordPress site he created without much thought beyond trying to give himself a laugh at a time when he could really use one.
1: It was just, you know, simple.
0: He never debated the design, the technology, or whether anyone would even read the blog when he launched it. But over many months, A Thousand Awesome Things would wind up getting hundreds of views, then thousands, Then hundreds of thousands. The real tipping points were so, you know,
1: one day I had 50 hits. Then the next day I got on the front page of FARC.com with my post number 980 on old dangerous playground equipment. And that post became 50,000 hits. A few thousand of those people stuck around, you know, and then that gave me inspiration to sort of say, oh, well, will Reddit pick up a post or will Dig, you know, pick up a post? And it was those hitting the front page of those engines that really prompted the blog into a higher level of readership.
0: Neil committed from that moment on to write one post every single weekday.
1: For a thousand straight weekdays, which unfortunately for me, I didn't do the math, was actually four years. Like When you started it, you wouldn't have thought I'd sign up for something every day for four years, but a thousand sounded small, so I did it from uh, 2008 to 2012, and it was really good that I did it because as my marriage fell apart and my wife um chose to move on and it was it was a wise decision cuz the love wasn't there but it wasn't what I was expecting and it wasn't what I wanted at the time um and as my friend uh chris you know he he um was really struggling to the point where he sadly took his own life and it's hard to still talk about that but you know it was Uh, He was a commenter on my blog one day, and then he disappeared. And um, we went through the grieving process with his family and with our friends from school. And I was writing about him on the website at the same time. And so now I'm moving out of my house. I'm moving downtown. I'm trying to find new friends and the blog became a place for me to put my energy and my thoughts and my time that was very therapeutic and it was very positive focus when I was feeling very negative focused and it helped me. It really became a help.
0: Neil would go on to publish a collection of his posts in a book called The Book of Awesome and believe it or not it became a New York Times bestseller and Neil was invited to do things like speak all over the world including delivering a TED talk a talk called The Three A's of Awesome. And he also wrote a few more books and created various related products like desk calendars and notebooks. But all the while, the blog was the constant. Every single weekday, Neil would work for Walmart during the day and publish a blog post to his side project at night. Now, the very first entry was titled simply Number 1000, The Brocco Flower. It was about a vegetable he saw in a grocery store flyer half broccoli, half cauliflower." That blog post was just one paragraph, and he finished writing the entry by saying, "'The best part is that people don't usually believe me when I mention it, and to top it off, I've never seen it advertised since. Like, the mutant broccoli flower was shunned by society and has since flown home.'" And then Neil ended the article with one word, awesome, written in all caps. The word stood alone, on its own line, Happily reminding us why the broccoli flower matters in the first place, or why the last triangle of potato chip in the bag matters, or sleeping in new bed sheets, or wearing underwear right out of the dryer, or suddenly remembering it's a long weekend, or looking up while underwater, or baby toes, why any of these or 993 other things matter in our lives. They're all, in a word, awesome. So that's how Neil would end his posts every single one of them, every single weekday.
1: I did a few things at the beginning of my blog in the span of the two minutes I used to set it up that looking back on were really smart, but I didn't think of them at the time. One of those things was making it daily because that meant if I had a bad day and didn't have a post and I was supposed to post at midnight and I didn't have anything, then I gave the world a terrible post, like ducks. They can walk, fly, and swim. Ducks three, humans two. Post. Like that was one of my sort of, in my opinion, my famous sort of like, just get it over with. The post. And <laughs> you know, I wrote that in like 10 seconds. Found a picture of a duck on Google image search. Post. And I felt bad. I was like, oh, that's not really going to, you know. And the comments were kind of making fun of the post. But you know what? The next day I had energy again. And I had the, my streak again. So I was like, I can keep this thing going. So making a daily regimen turned into be a, like it added Positive pressure to me, and that really helped.
0: The countdown format also created a sort of game mechanic to keep people coming back.
1: People thought they got better. You know what I mean? Like I remember posting like number nine hundred ninety-five, finding twenty dollars in your co pocket, and people's comments were like, "Too early." You know, you peaked. That should be <laughs> that should be in the two hundreds. You know, and then I'd be like number nine hundred ninety-four. You know, it's something that wasn't nearly as awesome, uh, you know, getting grass stains after a big day at the park or something and people would be like, what? How is that better than this? And so it created a debate, which I guess was part of the fun and that creates some some attention too.
0: You just hit that at something really interesting, which I think plagues a lot of writers and creators of any kind. There's like this psychological like damage you inflict on yourself, you know, am I giving away my best one too soon or am I able to top tomorrow uh, what I did today? And so like the $20 in your pocket unexpectedly, like, and then the following up with the grass stains, like, did you ever feel that way? Did you (laughs) ever feel like you're giving away the best one? And it was like, all right, I'm halfway through, but, but that's all I got. Well,
1: if of course, because you know, the the unfortunate myth of the entire project was because I had titled it 1000awesomethings.com, people presumed incorrectly that I had a 1000 awesome things. And a couple <laughs> weeks into this, when it started, you know, I got 50 hits or something, I'm like, I should probably make a list of every awesome thing I can even think of. I got a stack of blank paper and a pencil and I was like, okay, I got free time. What's everything I can think of? And Jay, honestly, I had 12 like I had hardly anything and eight of them right away I was like those aren't even that good and so the thing was use your best stuff as soon as you have it because it begets and creates additional thoughts and future ideas and I say when you have something if you're creative just spit it out do it now saving stuff doesn't work but by using it The process of using it actually creates the next one, very tough muscle to develop. I only had to trust it because I literally had nothing in the queue for forever. Like I never had the next day's post.
0: You know, a lot of times when a writer is working in a corporate setting or even on a side project, they're hunting for the framework. And what I mean by that is they need something repeatable or want something repeatable or someone else wants them to have a repeatable process they can explain to them to then continue to do the work. I find that it's a delicate balance between that diluting your creativity and enabling being prolific. Did you have a framework for like what a post looked like in your head? Right, it was like an intro paragraph that does this, and then I end on the word awesome, or or were you kind of more freewheeling?
1: Um, great question. So two things. One is it was totally freewheeling I, at the beginning. It was like some posts were just pictures, some posts were a poem that rhymed, some posts were a one liner, some were like a deeply personal like you know thousand word essay, some like were like like a, you know, like a tribute type post to like this thing. Some were describing like a one second experience or a five second experience in like a 20 um, minute read, like a, like a, you know the parking lot pull through. that takes two seconds. But my essay about it might take you a half an hour to read, you know what I mean? It's like a longer treatment. So they were all over the place. I think the formulas came later. So as I was reaching you know the 300s, the 200s, the 100s, I draw into my mental, uh, bank and be like, oh, this will be a good one for a poem, or this one could be, you know, a, a personal story or whatever.
0: Do you have a favorite one that you can point to?
1: Oh, that's so funny. Well, you know, I mentioned the other side of the pillow. It came to mind because I feel like that one it strikes the nerve of of the blog really well. And and the nerve is this: the awesome thing must be free. Okay, like flipping to the cold side of the pillow it doesn't cost you money. Um, it's got to be simple. So everyone should be able to mentally grasp it right away. And then it's got to be universal, i.e. no matter who you are, where you live, what your background is, you can relate. And so free, simple, and universal was always my goal. And some other ones that are, are popular to me, for example, the one that first went viral, old, dangerous playground equipment, well, it's, you know, for the most part, free and simple, but it might not be universal depending on where you grew up. So, you know, it's harder to relate if you didn't have the gigantic, rusty you know, wooden and nails things that we grew up with, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, you could actually, there actually was kids with casts, you know what I mean, with a broken arm or broken leg in school. It used to be like, who? can I sign your cast? Who's, what'd you do? You fell off the monkey bar. Now it's like no one's in casts. I miss casts. I, I, <laughs> broken limbs on children would, would maybe be an awesome thing. I'm totally joking, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that might be the title of this episode. <laughs> broken limbs on
0: children.
1: <laughs> How did you get me talking about that? Oh man. So that's the that's the Genesis story on on a thousand awesome Awesome, things and my first foray into the field of positive thinking. If I look back on it now, you know, it's two thousand sixteen. Like that was eight years ago, and I'm thirty-six now. I was twenty eight then. And it was just typing in how to start a blog into Google and pressing I'm feeling lucky. I mean, that was the origin. If I think about today, some of the stuff I'm excited about and working on, it's like really it all came from that one five minutes of typing in how to start a blog. That's it.
0: So something this simple had powerful effects on Neil. He became so much more happy and he grew stronger, both emotionally and creatively. And by the way, it didn't matter at all that this wasn't related to his day job. He wasn't a blogger by day, right? But it's not about that during your side project. It's not about the project plugging directly into your day job. It's about enriching your life and strengthening yourself as a person and as a creator. Now, for work, Neil wound up working alongside the CEO of Walmart, one of the biggest companies on the planet. And he also found new happiness outside of work, too, with a new love who would later become his wife. So, no, the benefits of side projects aren't just what you learn on face value. They're about so much more. So, you know, you're running this thing every single weekday, in addition to having a full-time job, um, having relationships, having interests that don't writing, involve writing blogging every books. single day, <laughs> right? Like yeah, writing three books, starting an organization. Yeah. Like you had more than just the blog to deal with every single day, as do we all with any project. And yet, you know, you, you build you build that over four years consistently, and then you arrive at this final week where all those years of agony and pleasure and successes and frustrations and and questioning yourself and believing in yourself, all that kind of culminates in this final week. Can you just walk me through how you were feeling as you put together the last week of posts?
1: So, so mixed in terms of excitement and and excitement to sleep, you know, and, and stressed uh, and, and questioning myself on will I ever have or create anything of this You know, capacity again. The blog probably at that time was getting maybe 50,000 hits a day, you know, and that was like its highest traffic moment, other than, you know, maybe getting linked to from like a CNN or a post secret or, you know, a huge kind of website. Um, uh, You know, but I was like, you know, why, you know, it feels both exciting and stupid to sort of stop a project like that. And, um, but two things I think I'll, I'll I'll give you kind of as as takeaways from this. One um, is this poem I actually have in my new book called "If," which is written by Rudyard Kipling, and he has, you know, this this. This line in there it says, "If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss," you know, and that that line just—I mean—it would take forever to read the whole poem. Although I include it in the book because it's over 150—you know—it's this really long old poem that I found uh, while doing the research, and uh, that is the feeling I got after, which means I risked it all, I gave it all up, but then I freed myself creatively to then have a blank slate again.
0: I, I could sense the the drama and the meaning, you know, you're talking about almost like a chapter closing and then another one opening. And I could sense that in the last two posts that you wrote. So number two in the countdown was this beautiful and like slightly atypically long essay around it was called remembering how lucky we are to be here right now and you talk about birth and space and interacting with other humans and how we're not here for very long it's very existential um as a post, and uh and you end by thanking the reader for reading the blog which i thought i was like oh interesting maybe you know i'm not sure what he has planned for the last one but maybe maybe this is just preempting it and there's something else related in number one but the number one post was a little bit different. Can you just describe to people what it was that final post? Sure, and I want to just articulate the pressure I
1: was under for this number one post. So for years, people were discussing and debating what number one could be. I had not thought of it yet. Like, it wasn't like I had done the J.K. Rowling thing of writing the last chapter of Harry Potter before book two or whatever, you know? I, like, didn't know. I was, like, constantly weighing and thinking about how to close this off. And then I was invited to do an event around the the final awesome thing, i.e., the night that I posted it, I would do that live in front of a live public audience, which would also be broadcast at the same time on national television.
0: So needless to say, Neil was more than a little nervous about that final post. But what he did was, I thought, completely beautiful. So here's what he wrote on that final day in that final post four years after starting 1000 Awesome Things. Number one, anything you want it to be. The post itself, where the paragraphs would be, he left blank. Just a wide open, inviting area of white space. Then, way at the bottom, after all that blank space and possibility and hope, after anything you wanted it to be, came that one familiar word, in all caps, sitting alone on its own line. Awesome.
1: It was just blank. It was just empty. And I wanted it to communicate that the conversation goes on. It literally is anything you want it to be because I've tried to write a universalist, but everyone's got their own views and opinions. That's the fun of it. And I wanted it to be open-ended, to be continued, because that allowed me mentally... To close it off, while still leaving a tiny crack open in the project, that allowed me to play with the idea of maybe coming back to it at some future date. And you know what? Um, oh, it means a lot to me. And I'm, you know, you're you're helping me kind of revisit and remember all the emotions I had when I posted it, um, and staying up, you know, till midnight watching all the comments kind of coming in and feeling all that. But luckily I flew off to New Orleans later that night or the next night and met up with a buddy and just had a, like a relaxing weekend and it got to cheers to it, but also got to mentally say, ah, you know, let's try something different. And of course I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't go through a period of, um, I won't call it depression cause I don't want to band, like I still want to bandy that word around, but I, I had definitely had a low after that for sure, because there went something that was became, that had become so habitual That it felt like, uh, you know, losing a family member or a limb, you know, or something big when it's gone. Um, Eventually, that space helped me create new things. But it, it always hurts to end a creative project.
0: Neil says he's now shifting his focus away from the observation of awesome things to the application of awesome. Because life moves on. Old things lead to new things, both for work and in other things, too. When Leslie and I got married and we went on our honeymoon,
1: she told me on the flight on the way home that she was pregnant because she wasn't feeling well uh, on the way home. And we had a layover in Malaysia. She got a pregnancy test. She did it on the airplane bathroom on the plane. And suddenly it was like, OMG, you know, or, or like we're about to have a child. I'm about to be a dad. And I, um, you know, I flipped in a good way. Like I was super excited to be a dad. Uh, I had a lot of my friends were dads, but also I got worried, uh, you know, the state of the world and how do you consciously and ethically and thoughtfully bring a child into the world. And so for the next nine months, Jay, like literally for nine months, every single morning at 5 a.m. I set an alarm. I wrote a thousand words before I went to work every day. And that turned into a 300-page letter to my unborn child called nine
0: secrets to living a happy life. This project has since evolved into Neil's new book, The Happiness Equation, which he released early in 2016. He also recently stepped away from his job at Walmart, and he now runs the Institute for Global Happiness, which delivers free training and courses to help managers keep their teams happy. They've worked with companies like Audi and Kraft and others. The passion is so just self-evident when you talk about all of these things, and I can't help but realize, you know, all of this started with a side project. You know, the willingness to overcome what probably for many feels like an insurmountable mental hurdle of just starting something on the side. Like the minutes it took you to start that WordPress blog have basically led you to where you are today, a uh, f- hopefully fulfilling career. It sounds like you, you are very fulfilled by it. Awards, you know, uh, lots of travel books, things like that. Just all these accolades and all this goodness. And, and again, it comes back to, I can still hear the passion in your voice. Um, what's the importance of side projects to you? If you had to describe how important those things are to people's happiness and their, their, you know, desire to find something awesome in their lives. Uh, they're critical. I mean, it's,
1: uh, it's 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 everything comes from something else you know and what listeners may not hear in the sort of nice verbal resume you just gave me is the amount of failures and miss hits and side projects that didn't work throughout this entire journey but also like in the lane next to this journey so Um, yeah, I'm excited about everything I'm doing and I'm pumped about this new book, of course. But that doesn't mean I don't start all kinds of crazy things that I don't do podcasts about because um, after literally one day, I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. Stop. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or or upload a video to YouTube that I'm like, this might be great. And then three weeks later, after I sent it to everybody, it's got like eight hits. I'm like, hmm, there's not much traction here. I'm I'm clearly missing the mark. So – Yes, I started a thousand awesome things in just a couple minutes. What you can't see is my history with chatting about websites with friends or, you know, the ideas that never went anywhere. We get focused. We have that – I think it's called confirmation bias, like, you know, success bias or whatever. It's like you see the one I did successfully, but don't mistake that one that shot up um, as just an example of, hey, you know – This is just Neil. It's actually just one that, you know, one weed that grew taller than the rest. And even the Institute for Global Happiness. Am I pumped about it? Am I excited about it? Am I dedicating time towards it? Yeah. Will it take off? Who knows? (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't know. The happiness equation. Uh, At the time this podcast goes out, it'll just come out. Will it be a New York Times bestseller, Um, you know, uh, in the front of all the, the TV and radio stations? I don't know like i i really don't but i do know one thing that regardless of what happens i'll be working on something else like i i i'll still keep trying something new and i think the more important thing than doing what you want to do is just doing a lot of different things at once because um you call them side projects it's like your side projects should have side projects should have side projects your notepads should have notepads your your you know your filing system should have filing systems i think it's a, when you have too many browsers open that you can't read the title on any single tab. That's an example. Remember, that's an example of your brain following its own creative waterfall naturally. Enjoy that. Take a screenshot of it. That's that's the place you want to be cuz from those holes come your best ideas, your most fun projects, the people that you're most interested with. That's how we met, right? You know what I mean? You and me, like okay. it's just it was a rabbit hole online. We just clicked or connected, I think, on Twitter or something. It's like that's because it came from me looking and you looking at the same place at the same time. And how cool is that?
0: I love it. That's so great. You know, some people make their life's work to own things like a sector. You know, maybe you're, you you want to be the expert in sales software or biotech. Uh, other people become leaders at a specific company and you get to the top of the uh, proverbial food chain and you're you're kind of revered internally and maybe in your industry. Uh, you get to be responsible for the concept of awesome. Uh, and I say get to because I feel like when I wake up and say I have to do th- something, it, it sounds like such a chore. But if I f- reframe that as I get to do this, it sounds like a privilege. And, and, you know, I look from the cheap seats at your work and it looks like a privilege to me. Um, what does it mean to you to do all these projects and help all these people around that concept of, of awesome?
1: You know, it, it, it's incredible. The world is so big and yet so small at the same time. You say, you know, get to be a spokesperson for awesomeness and positivity. I really do see it like that. It's um, it's a it's a lucky uh thing, and I'm I'm just really happy that um, you know, I I, I can hopefully uh help people, but also help my help myself and my own family because. Sometimes when I get down and it happens a lot, or I get into um, a fight with someone, or you know things, some, we just have a bad day, or whatever it is, it's like I, I started writing the blog for myself. Remember, like that's I was in a bad mood. I was in a marriage heading the wrong direction. I started it for myself, and um, the happiness equation again is 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 like, how do you live a happy life? I want to live one, and twenty only twenty percent people are doing so but yes, yeah, the thing we want the most, how do you actually do this? And so that's that's the answer. And so I'm partly hoping that these projects can inspire me whenever I fall down. And hopefully as a result of that, they can be good to other people at the same time.
0: It's amazing to see how far Neil has flown thanks to one simple, silly, even selfish project. That's the power of having that side hustle, that project for you to tinker on. You get stronger creatively. You learn new skills, both those that are directly applicable to your job, and those that maybe supplement your core skill and support your overall success. And these projects so often lead somewhere surprising or, like Neil, life-changing. Working on something on the side, whether nights, weekends, lunch hours, or even just a few minutes every day or every week, these things can have a real impact on our work as creators. And they're arguably the best way to truly be creative and craft-driven in the long arc of time that is our career. So no matter how small or silly, side projects are still immeasurably powerful. And yet there's something that each and every one of us can very easily do. And that's unthinkable. Big thanks to Right Side Shirts for supporting this episode of Unthinkable. Their shirts and other products are all designed by kids who in many cases are way better artists than me and all profits from Right Side Apparel goes towards supporting art programs in need. So, help support school art and make sure that more kids are given the chance to be truly creative both in school and hopefully as a result in their own side projects and in their lives. Go to RightSideShirts.org If you like the show, please give it a rating on iTunes. As a brand new podcast, these are our lifeblood, not only for distribution, but because every single bit of feedback helps make this show better. And by the way, it helps me justify to my wife why, no, I can't walk the dog tonight because I have to rewrite a script and it's super important, I swear. Oh, come on. Unthinkable is written and hosted by me, Jay Akunzo. This episode was produced by Chris Higgins. And our theme music is by Sir Tyler Litwin. You can also get every episode as soon as it's live plus all kinds of other goodies by subscribing to the Unthinkable site go to unthinkable.fm and if you do that please tweet me and let me know I'll send you something absurd as a reply I promise Also all this talk about side projects kind of makes you wonder what awesome projects are out there if only we could find them and go and talk to those people If only there was some kind of show out there that could, like, I don't know, profile really cool side projects, maybe get us really excited to go and tackle our own, and maybe we'd get to geek out by going really deep with other content creators that are just like us. If only such a show existed. Introducing Side Hustle Sidebars, a new type of unthinkable episode dropping every other week starting next week. Booyah.